It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope carnival. Hi, this is Becca. And this is Eric. Welcome to Jackalope Carnival. Um, this particular uh, episode, in honor of October, which is the spookiest and what best month of the year, we're going to talk about what actually ended up being a two-part episode, um, communicating with the spirits. And we were both a little too excited to just keep this to one episode because we thought that that was some interesting stuff. <laughs> so today I'm talking about Ouija board and you're going to talk about spiritualism as a movement first, and then we'll talk about Ouija board. And the next episode, we're going to get into EVPs. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, and the EVP is fascinating stuff. So next time we'll talk about that. Um, but right now, like I said, we're going to talk about uh, contacting the beyond. And um, Eric, have you ever tried to contact the beyond? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, absolutely no. I am not. No. I mean, if a ghost wants to talk to me, that's fine. But um, I don't think that uh, reaching out indiscriminately into the spirit world um, is always a good idea. Okay. From a, from a belief perspective. Is what well, I'm yeah. I mean, well, coming from my perspective, which is one of a believer. Sure. Like I, you know, I believe in spirits. I've seen ghosts. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer and I'll come, I'll come out and tell anybody. I don't care. But, um, but so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that I want to just reach out and ask any old spirit, you know, who might be passing by if they want to like, come knock on my table and like I mean yeah you wouldn't do that with just any person they could be annoying <laughs> they could be annoying they could you know I mean who's more likely to to want to come in your house randomly than... and how, how do you break up with a spirit friend you're not into anymore <laughs> it's really hard yeah breaking, breaking up by Ouija board is hard to do so I've definitely used Ouija board um in high school it was kind of what you did you tried it out um and I've gone to see a psychic medium so I've, I've, I've experimented. I don't have a whole, whole lot of belief in it. I've experimented. In college, um, right? You experimented yeah, in college? It was in college. Um, so I did, I talked to, <laughs> I talked to a medium. Um, I actually went to see a woman called Betty, who is outside of Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, so she's in a rural area near the uh, outlet, the bread outlet, the bakery outlet. So we went and um, my friend had seen her. A few times before, I believe, and I wanted to try it out. She sounded really interesting. And so she was so popular in the area that when you got there the night before, you had to sleep out basically on her lawn to be able to see her in the morning. What did her, does she have neighbors close by? You know, it's not, it's like outside of Hagerstown. So it's pretty rural, but so there was, um, there was no neighbors in sight. Cause I'm imagining people being like, no, wow, not really. Betty's, Betty's got the people lined up on the lawn again. Not, not that I recall, um, but I do remember that uh, we weren't the first people there. And because of this, I didn't get to see her until the afternoon. And my friend saw her before me and she was only $5. So this lady wasn't in it for the money. Um, she truly believed that she had a gift. And 
my experience with her was probably a little atypical, but I do know it was nothing like I thought it was going to be, mm. you know, I'm experienced, I'm expecting this experience with, you know, crystals and a crystal ball and all of that. And basically I went into this normal woman from Hagerstown's house who, um, was farsighted. So she asked me to hold out my hands and she stood on the other side of the room and then she apologized, but it was lunch and she wanted to get through everybody. So she was going to eat a sandwich. And so she's taking a bite of her sandwich and telling me, you know, about my future. And I thought that was um, really not the experience of the psychic that I was expecting to get. Okay. So did she, was she like making predictions about the future or talking to the spirits? Uh, a little of both. So she was a psychic medium, but she used the palm, her palm, like the palms were her book essentially to read the future. Got um, it. She was guided by the spirits. So she was good. Um, but the experience was, you know, people really liked her. People swore by her, but the experience was nothing like I would have expected. Um, Eddie, the ham sandwich medium. Yeah. Talking about mediums, that's how we're going to start today. Because I think a lot of what I got of what a seance or what seeing a medium would be like comes from the 19th century and the early 20th century in America with um, the spiritualist movement. This is the first time that we really start to see seances in popular culture and contacting spirits it becomes pretty normal in a way it's widely accepted it starts with two teenage girls which is not how most religious movements at that time started um it starts in 1848 in unless you're french and you're trying to expel the english and that's a different different voices is that another episode yeah so Joan of Arc, in case people didn't catch that one. All right. So Maggie and Kate, like they hear this knocking on their furniture and they tell their parents and people start to, you know, hear and they, they ask the spirit questions. So they'll say, you know, knock five times and the spirits will knock. So they not just hear these knockings, they communicate with the spirits. And eventually they move to Rochester, New York with, to move in with their sister and this just happens to be in the right place at the right time because this is known as the burned over district. And the, the burned over district has nothing to do with fars. No. Nothing's getting set on fire except for the spirit. Except for your spirit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a center point for religious reform, essentially. And during that time, we, we talk about these time periods in American history from the 18th to the 20th century um, as the Great Awakenings. And so they happen to be in the center of activity for these Great Awakenings. Um, in Great Awakenings, you're like, oh, is this a paranormal? Not really. Um, Great Awakenings are times in U.S. history that spawned a lot of new Christian thought, movements, denominations. And ideas. And in popular culture, you've probably seen this portrayed as tent revivals, fire and brimstone preachers. Um, And it's kind of interesting because, you know, the way that religion is constructed since uh, the evangelical movement moved beyond its, um, its own small insular counterculture in the early 20th century and became a bit more mainstream there was a real demarcation line between what was considered a cult. This is actually probably in the 60s, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, And what is a cult and what is considered to be like Christian or true religion. And the Ouija board and seances and all that is firmly outside of what is seen as like, you know, acceptable uh, Protestant religion. 
Yeah, but not at that time. So at that time, yeah, absolutely. They would kind of say that this goes back with, you know, communicating with things outside oneself. Uh, they could tie it to the Bible if they wanted to, and I'm sure they did. Sure, um, and and Lincoln, of course, saw, I mean, I don't know much about Mary Todd Lincoln's uh, uh, religious beliefs, but I know that that Abraham Lincoln saw himself very much as a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, many spiritualists did. They didn't really see that you had to be a spiritualist or a Christian. Like these were spiritualist ideas that they included in their Christianity for some people. So anyway, we're getting kind of far away. But essentially, this Kate and Maggie, they get the show on the road eventually. They are in the right place at the right time. They have this area that's used to all of these new religious ideas and new ways of thinking. And they become the first, arguably, in a line of American mediums that hold seances for well-to-do Americans, fashionable Americans, all hoping to get spiritual guidance or communicate with loved ones. And I think that's really significant um, because the culture of America had changed so much um, in the past, you know, 150 years that women who would have been on trial for witchcraft before were now celebrated at the center of this religious movement that normalizes spirit communication until, as Eric wisely said, um, until later we'll get to that part. So Right, but I think you're right. I mean, because it, it, it seems, I guess it seems to go in like a, a, an ebb and a flow, right? Because the idea of connecting with dead spirits is kind of worldwide, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. We think of you know the the the, the Siberian word shamanism is thrown around quite a bit, but like the idea of of being able to connect with the spirit world is is something that seems to be perennially human. And this, you know, becomes normalized in American culture at that time. And as you mentioned before, Mary Todd Lincoln. So so it's so normalized that we know that Mary Todd Lincoln has seances in the White House later. We know that Thomas Edison has an interview with the Scientific American in 1920. So he's so comfortable talking about this in a scientific magazine that he says that the dead can possibly be contacted with the right device. Um, he says, I've been thinking of for some time of a machine or apparatus which could be operated by personalities which have passed on to another existence or sphere. I do claim that it is possible to construct an apparatus which will be so delicate that if there are personalities in another existence or sphere who wish to get in touch with us, they can. Um, he actually says this apparatus will give them a better opportunity to express themselves than the crude methods. And uh, Eric's going to talk about one of those crude methods because I that's, think he's throwing some I'm, shade. I'm always here to talk about the crude methods. Yeah, Ed, Edison's throwing some shade on seances and Ouija boards, but um, it's hotly debated whether Edison did or did not attempt to make such a device. Uh, there's a whole bunch of thought on either side, but we know that it was so normalized um, Chances are he just sort of got another inventor to, he, you know, he got Nikola Tesla to invent one and just took credit for it. <laughs> Probably. Or maybe that one Tesla hid. And so that's why we don't know. But um, we Tesla's do know. Tesla's Ouija board would be a great, I would read that. It's a band that. name. That's a great band name. short story, but yeah, but either one. <laughs> Tesla's Ouija board. We are Tesla's Ouija board. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So not only is it normalized, with the invention of the Ouija board and the commercialization, we now have seances going DIY. So Eric's going to talk to us a little bit about Ouija boards. Right. And, you know, what is, a, what is a poor boy to do if you don't have a medium in town, right? <laughs> That's right. What if, what if you don't have a table that conveniently knocks when you want it? What if you don't have... Um, you know, chintzy uh, lace curtains and candles. And you, 
You don't want the mess of ectoplasm. You don't want ectoplasm. That stuff's impossible to get off of uh, your uh, curtains, your <laughs> curtains, and your furniture. So, what what do you do if you you want to get involved in the spiritualist craze? You want to talk to your dead friends, but um, but you don't have a medium handy. You don't have a Miss Betty in the neighborhood. Uh, what do you do? And the answer to that is Baltimore. It's always Baltimore. So the answer is always Baltimore. So the Ouija board was invented in Baltimore, uh, my beloved Baltimore. But the, the, there are things that precede the Ouija board that are somewhat like it. In fact, Charles Kennard, who's considered one of the people who invented the Ouija board, was inspired by a talking board uh, craze that was breaking out in Ohio. So, you know, not terribly far from New York, but people are constructing basically some kind of board that has words or letters on it. And then by some method or another, uh, the board is used to contact spirits. At the time, though, I don't know, I can't find any record that they're using a planchette. And I think that we did some research a bit ago, and we found out planchette means little plank. Absolutely. That's French for little plank. The little plank. And a planchette is the part of the Ouija board that you put your fingers on, and it, it points to things, right? Um, the planchette actually was a, a separate device at first. And the planchette, at least, I don't know if this is, um, this could be an instance of things being invented simultaneously in different eras. But there was something like a planchette on wheels being used in China early in the common era, where they put like a brush and um, ink, you know, and, and it was used for automatic writing. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense with Taoism and the contacting of the spirits within Taoism. So I, and I don't know if it has a direct connection to the planchette being used in the spiritualist movement of the 19th century in America, because that seems a bit removed. But nevertheless, right? I mean, I think that um, automatic writing was a thing that is asking the spirits to write through you. But instead, the planchette was, was paired with the talking board idea from Ohio, and the Ouija board was born. And one of my, there's many favorite things I have about Ouija boards, except using them, which I won't do. But one of the great things about the Ouija board is apparently there is some real discrepancy on what the name even means. One of the people who was using the first Ouija board in Baltimore was a woman who had a reputation as being a medium. And she asked the board what they should call it. And the board apparently answered back Ouija. They asked, what does that mean? And it said, good luck. And so there's a story that Ouija is a Egyptian word for good luck. No, it's not. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, basically, whenever like white people in the 19th century say anything is Egyptian, they basically mean like we want it to be exotic. Well, the Ouija board is rather exotic, though. It's so exotic. Exotic Baltimore and Ohio. So... <sighs> It's, it doesn't mean good luck. And as a matter of fact, the words we and ya and, you know, in French, French and, and German, respectively, mean yes, yes. Um, yes. And apparently the woman who was in this first seance even had a locket that allegedly had the word Ouija in it. So the Ouija board's, you know, its, it's origin story starts with a potential fiction. It starts <laughs> with perhaps like 
this might be all, you know, a gas. It might all be like somebody pulling the wool over your eyes, right? Which is, it seems kind of right. And why do we always end up in this? We're, that's, that seems to be Jackalope Carnival's like home territory, right? The, the space between like the weird and the possibly like strange edges of reality and the people trying to make stuff up. <laughs> well, that's okay. I think it's the unknown is where we exist, Eric. The unknown. The unknown. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, there are, it's equally the province of the the mad person and the truly visionary and the huckster, right? They're all there together um, making Ouija boards. And so Charles Kennard gets a uh, business partner, uh, the guy by the name of William Fold, and they open up a Ouija board factory in Baltimore as one does. Yeah. Um, And they make a lot of money, actually. It's very successful. And as a matter of fact, you can go to the place where the Ouija board was first invented in Baltimore and visit the, the historical marker. It's a, it's a historical plaque, and it actually kind of looks like a Ouija board. Now, here's the punchline. It's catty corner from the Walters Art Museum on Charles Street. So if you come to Baltimore and you're in the Inner Harbor, it's kind of like the tourist hub of Baltimore. Uh, come north on Charles, the way that Charles goes. Don't drive south on Charles. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but if you're coming north on Charles... Right before you get to, I guess, Center Street, I'm guessing, you'll see, or you'll go past, um, before Monument Street, shoot, it's escaping me right now. But the They'll local- Google, don't you worry. <laughs> Google, Google it, yeah. Um, but there's a 7-Eleven, that's the best part. So you park, you go in the 7-Eleven, and you go in the door, and you turn immediately to the right. And right there, stacked up next to the sodas and the Slim Jims, is the historical marker um, telling you that the Ouija board was first made in this building, which is now a 7-Eleven. And as a matter of fact, in 2015, the OuijaCon, which was meeting in Baltimore, <laughs> I didn't awesome. know that was, it really is. I had no idea. The OuijaCon applied to the local government and got a official Ouija board day. The wonderful thing about this is, is they. <laughs> They got the mayor of Baltimore to read an official proclamation about Ouija board day. And this is only, it's, it's wonderful on, on many levels, but one of the levels is the mayor at the time um, is actually a woman that I have a lot of respect for. I think that she did the best she could being the executive of Baltimore city. And she was known as a very uh, straight to the point, you know, no nonsense type of person, which to be honest, isn't that what you want, you know, out of, a, out of someone who's, you know, in politics. So she's this super serious person and she's reading a proclamation about Ouija day in Baltimore. Seek it out. The, the listening to her do it is, is wonderful. But as again, as a politician, as a human being, she has nothing but my respect, but her reading a Ouija day, proclamation is just fantastic. So the Ouija board in Baltimore actually made um, Kennard and Flood a ton of money to the point where they kept moving and expanding, um, building bigger factories. Uh, But the Ouija board would be the death of William Fold. William Fold um, would become the sole owner after the 1890s, but he would, he would have an untimely death. Uh, apparently, he was on the roof of his Baltimore factory adjusting a flagpole when he um, fell off the roof to his death. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I don't know if anyone at work ever tried to contact him after that. It seems like a no-brainer, really. They probably did. I was just ashamed no, no one warned him. None of the spirits of the Ouija warned him about this. Well, who's, who's to know the spirits have, you know, um, any knowledge of the future? Who knows? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, he, if, you, if you die it, at a Ouija board factory, <laughs> they just don't leave you alone. You know, they're probably just everybody's trying he, to get a hold of you. He's really the only spirit that comes through on Ouija boards now. Right. It's like getting, it's like, it's the worst version of getting emailed when you're homesick. You know what I mean? Like you're sick, you're at home, you don't feel good. And everybody keeps emailing you like, Hey, where's this? Hey, where's that? It's like that, but you're dead. Right. You fell off the roof and people are like, they got Ouija boards. They're like, Hey, William, by the way, like we can't find like this file. Where'd you put it? You know? So who took up for after he died? His family did. Um, It was a family business, but eventually they sold it to Parker brothers in um, 1966. Okay. That's the same year that the Mothman was first sighted. Oh, but it all comes back to the Mothman. Always. Um, and do you think this is coincidence? No. No. So here's the ready. Here's the best part, though. Um, guess where Parker Brothers Ouija Factory um, was? You'll never guess. I'll give you three. I'll give you three uh, chances oh. to guess this. Oh, don't make me guess. We'll we'll let our listeners guess this one. So give okay. So ready? First guess. Um, mm-hmm, but close. Second <laughs> No, the answer is Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> That's yeah, that makes sense though. Yeah. <laughs> so in yeah, so so Ouija uh actually starts being made in Salem. Um and again you mentioned that like once upon a time, um that would have had a different outcome. Yeah, definitely. The irony. So that is quite interesting. And I like that it has a history that's so tied to America and it's American made. That's pretty great. Are they still? Probably not. Hmm. Are they still made in Salem? Made in America. Um, I don't know that for sure. And yeah, it, it seems we don't do a lot of manufacturing in America anymore. So no. if we did, it'd be surprising. Although Parker Brothers is still making Ouija boards, but they really do. They're walking a line, right? Because on one hand, they have this product that sells pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, um, and do we want to talk about this now? Um, there's There was a bit of a backlash. Uh, I mean, we can, yeah. Okay. So in the 1960s, when the counterculture was kind of taking off, there were a lot of folks looking, I guess what we think of as like um, atypical religious movements or things kind of outside of like the Protestant mainstream of America. And you had um, people in, you know, children of middle America uh, looking to Eastern mysticism and new religious movements, and even looking into some of the spiritualist movement from the past. And indeed, people were getting involved once again in seances and in Ouija boards. And there was a real backlash against this amongst Protestant Christianity. And a lot of things that, you know, back in the 19th century weren't necessarily seen as anti-Christian, it suddenly became so. And so all of this, right, got kind of thrown into the occult bin, like everything from meditation to, um, you know, Eastern mysticism to Ouija boards to spiritualism all got kind of thrown into like a big bin called a cult. And there was a giant backlash against it. And there was a lot of churches preaching against using like occult things like the Ouija board. And it really kind of comes to a head. I don't know if it comes to a head, but there was a movie, a very famous movie that happened. Oh, before we get to the satanic panic of the eighties, but that's. Oh, well, we, we, we are not getting there today. Yeah. We were not oh, getting to no. that. No, no, no. That's or if ever, but um, the, the exorcist happens, right? So the exorcist is a book that was written about a, um, 
a very famous case of demonic possession. It was based on a real case. Um, there's a lot of debate on how fictionalized it was. Um, the gender of the of the possessed child was changed as well as the name. But the but it movie, gets, sorry, it gets yeah, but it gets made into that movie that was wildly popular. Right. The movie came out in 1973, and it was tremendously popular and became kind of a cultural force. And one of the um, one of the the plot points of the movie is that the girl who is possessed is possessed after using a Ouija board. And that enters kind of like the, you know, the zeitgeist and people start thinking that Ouija boards are a portal to something dangerous, which is funny because that, that totally isn't how they were marketed at first. That isn't how spiritualism was marketed, right? Or I guess marketed is the wrong word, but like in the 19th century, spiritualism was a way to talk to loved ones. It was a way to reunite with people you loved. It wasn't seen as something that was dangerous or um, could result in some, some kind of harm, right? But like by the time we get to the 20th century, and again, we see that the American um, idea of death is, has changed. Um, death is more scary now. And, you know, these religious practices are scary now. And now we have this famous movie where it shows a Ouija board being used and something bad happening. And so, yeah, the, the tide turns against spiritualism and Ouija. And Somewhat. I mean, I think because we're going to talk about that next. Um, this is when EVP really starts to become popular, though. So in some ways, yeah. But in other ways, we're going to find out, no. Right. I guess it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, it, maybe part of its appeal is the fact that it's also kind of dangerous, right? Well, uh, maybe. There's interesting, I think the science was the appeal, but it's interesting because I, I wonder where we are today with this. And I think we're probably, I mean, I haven't really heard about the Ouija board for a while, but I, I have to wonder if we're not coming out of it again, if we're not going into another period where that's okay. Well, let me just say one more death. thing about the Ouija board. And that is, um, and I was reading about this, Parker Brothers is walking a line where they don't want to activate anyone who might think that Ouija boards are like part of this dangerous or scary spiritual practice. So they kind of keep it on the DL, you know, like we still make it, you can still buy it at, you know, Walmart. But we're not advertising. But we're not advertising it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know if Walmart carries it, but I think, uh, I think Target does. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, this was really interesting. I learned a lot about Ouija boards <laughs> and I'm going to have to go see one in Baltimore. I didn't know that. And I've been to Baltimore many, many times without going to the Seven Eleven there. Well, now you know. Now I know. So, I mean, what do you think about all this? Well, that's up to you. This is pretty much our show for today. So thanks for joining us. And I hope we'll see you all next episode when we talk about electronic voice phenomenon. Thank you. Jackalope Carnival!